but pretty funny and ironic that the name of the gym is The Front, and it was a front. That is really funny. The United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime estimates that the amount of money laundered globally in one year is 2 to 5% of global GDP. If you go to court, make sure your boys show up ah. and bling, baby. Make sure yeah. they got the bling. You gotta have your boys there to support you, and you gotta have a guy. You gotta have those guys. Welcome to the Waterhole. You're on. Good to have you all here on the Waterhole again with myself, Ronnie, and our boy, Carter. What up, peeps? Uh, today, we're going to be diving right in, talking about a really fun topic. I haven't told Carter what it is yet, Woo! so uh, this is a surprise for him. But today, we're going to be talking money laundering, fronts, and shell companies. Super exciting stuff. How did you know that I knew so much about this topic? I just figured you'd probably have some good insight. Actually, I don't know that I do know much about this topic, but I'm very intrigued so far. Yeah. So, do you know what money, money laundering is? Okay, I guess my all of my understanding of money laundering comes from TV shows, like Breaking Bad... I just watched a Netflix movie called The Laundromat. I think that one was based on a real story. Ozark. Yeah, so... Tell me about The Laundromat. So The Laundromat is... It's, like, loosely based... I don't know if it's a one-to-one comparison on a scandal called The Panama Files. Oh. Or something like that. Where a bunch of documents were released about these two guys that were moving money around for a bunch of power players across the world. And one of their, like, secretaries ended up releasing all these documents about who they were working with and where the money was coming from, where it was going. It's like all this offshore island stuff, you know? Yeah, it turns out that a lot of, like, offshore island weird money laundering happens in Latin America. There's that like, is probably where this movie takes place. Yeah, I mean, Panama, Latin America. Yeah, Panama. And, like, a lot of it happens in, like, Colombia, too. Uh, who, I mean, it makes sense because Colombians are known for, like, drug trafficking. And they've got to put that money somewhere. And right? the coffee game. And that the co- coffee okay, game yeah, is strong. Yeah. Maybe they're using coffee to, they launder, got that coffee money, to launder their drug money. Yeah, could be. Anyway, so money laundering in its... Most simplest form is getting a bunch of money illegally and making it look like that money was received legally, right? Through a legitimate way. Not because you killed somebody, not because you're selling drugs, not because you have blood diamonds, but because you have a laundry business or you have a uh, Subway or a McDonald's franchise or, you know, all these different different ways. So let me ask this real quick. Is the purpose of laundering money to provide cover from illegal acts or to just avoid paying taxes or avoid the government knowing you have the money? So both, uh, because not paying taxes obviously puts more money in your pocket. But I bet a lot of these uh, people wouldn't actually mind that much paying taxes if tax if paying taxes didn't lead to the government finding out that they were doing illegal things gotcha. and them going to jail for it. Because right? the tax process is kind of like an audit process of everything you've done that year from a fiscal perspective. Yeah. And so maybe the IRS might say, or other tax agencies might say, hey, thanks for paying your taxes. You're an upstanding citizen. You know? But that's not the case. How much more taxes could they get right? if they just turned the blind eye? Yeah, and if the IRS says, we're not going to report to you, you know, it's, it kind of has a parallel to, like... It's kind of just getting paid off. It's like a mafia move. Yeah. It's kind of like the BYU Honor Code office not turning you into your bishop, or vice versa, when you've done something bad. And you're an athlete. And you're an athlete. And we depend on you. <sighs> side, anyway. Side story with okay. athletes at BYU. I just saw... I read a story about this linebacker at BYU who got... A DUI, he had, like, open containers in his car and a vape pen, like a THC vape pen, and uh, the county dropped the charges against him. Mm. Yeah. Donor. 
I don't know what's alumni. going on, but like, is that okay? I mean, he didn't even get because they dropped the charges. There's nothing that's going to be done from an honor code infraction oh, no, perspective. He, he or can't, he can't play football this spring. Okay. I don't know if that means he's going to be able to play in the fall. But the football coach has already said like he's not a part of the team. Because obviously right it's now. been surfaced, it's been made public. Right. So there's really no. You got to do something that. about yeah. it. So I'm sure honor code has something to do with it. But like from a legal standpoint, he doesn't have to do anything. That's interesting. Yeah. Whereas, like, if you or I got a DUI, the full hand of the law would probably come down on us. Oh, yeah. Except now, with this recently acquired fame from this podcast, <laughs> they might let us off. They because... might let us off. They're like, you boys keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> anyway, on, okay. the laund- on the laundering, why this topic? Uh, so, it was actually brought up by some friends of ours. Who? Uh, some friends from the Run Club. Do I know you do. John should Connors. We, oh, I was like, should we say their name? Put them officially in the record of the pod. <laughs> Sam Williams. Okay. And I believe Nick Pearson had a little say in there as well. Oh, man. I know all three of those guys. So guys. we were talking about it, and it came up because uh, they they wanted us to do some investigative journalism and dig into a few places that they thought were laundering money. I didn't feel comfortable digging into uh, local businesses. Can we say those businesses on the public record? I'm okay with saying one <laughs> I won't say who, which of the three told me about it. Okay. But Betos. Uh, Albertos. Well, that was one that they wanted me to dig into. Was, uh, was Betos or Rancheritos or something? You know um, there's dirty money in that. There's probably some dirty money in that. The one that I did get a story about was the Front Climbing Gym. Okay. Funny that its name is The Front because it was a front oh. for illegal operations i think i know this so i think i know part of the story because i think a guy that did color me rad was affiliated with the front yeah so apparently there was like i mean this is hearsay right we don't know we don't know for real but we're in the business of speculation that's what we do here we're in the business of sharing what little information we have little knowledge a lot of speculation uh probably a lot of misinformation Absolutely. But that's what we're all about here. It's fun. Anyway, before the current owner owned it, there was like they were like lining the walls of the climbing gym with cocaine, oh. like hiding it out in there. That's crazy, dude. But pretty funny and ironic that the name of the gym is The Front, and it was a front. That is really funny. I wonder if they Was that irony that. intended? It's like, you know what? If we get find, <laughs> found out, at least we'll have the funniest story. About how we went about doing this. This is reminding me. There was a, there was a, like, front in Boise when I was a kid. There was this, like, it was either called the Fun Zone or the Discovery Zone. It was like a kid's play place. We all, everyone had one of those. Everyone had one of those. But do you remember those slides that are a bunch of rollers? They're like, imagine a bunch of rolls of wrapping paper, right? But hundreds of them in a line. They're all different colors. And so they roll. It's like a slide, but you sit on it and you kind of roll down. And the bearings are always super good. So you fly down that thing. Hopefully, ideally. Yeah. yeah, You're just shooting out of there um, into a ball pit or something like that. We went there only one or two times. Then the place got shut down because it was a front. And it was in the business of moving dirty money. Do you know what it was a front for? No, but I wonder if the, if it's a bit of a tactic to try and, like, put up a facade of the most innocent-seeming business that you could dream up, like a play place for kids, to then go about your nefarious dealings with money, you know? Yeah. I think that's the idea, is, like, this has to be just a normal business. There, But where, the, like, bad stuff starts surfacing is when... A play place like that starts pulling in a hundred million a year. <laughs> like I know those kids are enjoying those slides, but damn. So like you got to be careful about how much money you're laundering through there. Yeah. Um. So, I wanted to see if you knew what the difference between a front and a shell company were. Dude, the shell stuff. I I think I'm just confused about it generally. Yeah, it's pretty simple. Um, in its essence, a shell company is a company on paper, but not actually doing anything. Like, you can't go to the store and buy something from a shell company. It's just, like, it exists on paper, 
money's being run through it, but there's actually no operations happening Dude, there. this is like what the whole The Laundromat movie is about. Shell it's, companies, then. Okay, Because so, that's like the whole thing. Like, these guys have all these company different ones, too. Yeah, so the Shell company, nothing's actually happening. Whereas a front would be the actual laundromat itself. Yes. Where, like, you're able to, like push some money through there somehow maybe it's like you've a car got, wash and breaking yeah, bad yeah exactly maybe you have like a million dollars in quarters and so you're just going to the laundromat and you're putting all of those quarters and all of your machines just to make it look like people came in and used your machines and you got a hundred dollars in revenue because of it right yeah that is a front whereas the shell company you don't even own it like there's no physical business or operations or anything it's just like on paper money's flying through there okay yeah so that's the difference between the two of them are shell companies illegal or are you allowed to have companies that just propped up sitting on they're definitely illegal oh they're definitely illegal well i mean you can't have a company that that doesn't provide any service or good or you could it's called a ponzi scheme (laughs) (laughs) dude I, mean, I know about Ponzi schemes. Yeah. I just listened to the Malcolm Gladwell Talking to Strangers book. There's a whole chapter about Bernie Madoff, and it is intense. It is crazy, dude. Yeah. Kaylee, my wife, was actually telling, I think she told all of us about this, about this Ponzi scheme she had heard of on a podcast somewhere about, like, this game called The Airplane or something like that. And you paid to be a part of this game, and the more you paid the better the seat you got on the airplane. And that's all it was. And then if you wanted to, like, be a pilot of a plane, then you'd brought in, you know, 40 other people to be on your airplane. Literally nothing. And just uh, a... You fake ha- airplane. A fake sitting airplane. Sitting in a room. You don't have to sit in a room. You it's don't even like have to sit in a room. write in the letter. So this could all be done in an app. Yeah, sure. Somebody could create an app that's like, get five people to download this app, and you get the money from those five people when they get more people to download the app. Yeah, patent pending. That's ours. We could do this. We're doing it. All right. <laughs> not, not really. Not really. That, yeah, that, was, that was definitely fake, guys. Uh, we'll let you know if we do it, though. Yeah. We'll add the link to the show notes. Okay, so there are different types of money or different ways you can launder money. Some of it is like you get an offshore account, you smuggle $40 million, it gets put in that offshore account for some later date when you go to the Cayman Islands and live your retirement out in the Cayman Islands. That technically is money laundering. Other ways of doing it are um, something that they call smurfing. And smurfing, from what I understand, is you give someone money and then they... So they put it into like a hundred different accounts, right? They spread the money out so that's really hard to like trace all of this money. The government and bank agencies and stuff don't have to report uh, money movements per day under $10,000. So if you put $10,000 in a bank account, then nobody is going to report that transaction. If you put 100000 in a bank account in one day, then it gets reported to the government and uh, they could come after you. Cause, hmm. Or they want to know what's this $100,000 coming from, right? Right. But under 10000 nobody comes after you. So you can just split up your $100 million Into 10000s Into $10,000 tra- transactions. Maybe you have... 40 bank accounts, and over a month, they all get spread out into those bank accounts, and uh, that's one way of laundering your money. I feel like you just have to have so much money for this to even be worth doing. (laughs) Where is everyone getting all this money? Like, it feels like, I guess, if you're willing to do any and every illegal thing, do you think getting money is actually pretty easy? Or do you still have to be good at what these people do? Like, are these just the best of the best scam artists and most of even the scammers fail? I think that they're the best of the best of the scam, art- scam artists. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like even illegal, like, there's plenty of people that are willing to break the law and they're still not coming out on top from, like, financial perspective, you know? For sure. Um, other ways of laundering money, casinos, gambling, uh, maybe paying yourself more, like putting money into a a side account that isn't associated with the business. There's different ways of of doing this. Um, Oh. Forgive that music. 
It's gone. Yeah, it's gone. Uh, anyway, so there's a lot of different um, ways to launder money and get it off of the books. Okay. Make it look legal to the government so you get your $100 million without taxes. Or maybe you sold a lot of cocaine and that's how you got your $100 million and you don't want anybody to find out about that. Fun fact, uh, the United Nations... Office on Drugs and Crime estimates that the amount of money laundered globally in one year is 2 to 5% of global GDP. Wow. That's $800 billion to $2 trillion. $800 billion. billion to $2 trillion is being laundered trillion. every year. That's 2 to 5% of global GDP. Um, and only a fraction of that is actually from, like, drug money okay most of it is from like mafia cartel uh terrorists like all these people are laundering money um to stay away from the authorities Hmm. pretty interesting that is interesting what are some of the most well-known money laundering cases that you've heard of i'm not sure i've heard of like i don't know of that many real cases I mean, I'm, I'm guessing, like, all the big crime families laundered money, like, in New York or whatever, the five families, or Pablo Escobar probably laundered money, or, yeah. like, the drug lords, like, El Chapo, or whatever. I'm sure they're all involved in this. Definitely. But I think that, like, they all had to launder money, or else yeah. they wouldn't have got away with what they did for Al so Capone. long. Al Capone. Al Capone. He's a big one here in the States that uh, is, like... A pretty famous story, His right? was the Prohibition stuff, right? This was all during Prohibition. Um, he was running speakeasies or something. I think so. A lot of it was just, like, his mob profits. Like, everything that his mob was doing, you know? Like, there was drugs or alcohol and um, other transactions happening that he was trying to, to shelter from law enforcement and from the IRS. Uh, they estimate that he laundered upwards of $1 billion. What? Like yeah. an adjusted amount, or is that... Uh, I think that was actually in his time. That was like in ni- early 1900s. Yeah, it says uh, it laundered upwards of $1 billion through various shady fronts. Wow. Yeah. That's some serious dope. Um, and he got away with it for a very long time. He was eventually convicted of tax evasion. Oof. That was how they got him. That's Which, how uh, they get you. You gotta pay your taxes, people. You gotta pay the taxes. You got about a month to pay your taxes, uh, or to, to file your taxes. Unless you're doing paid. that late filing. Unless you're doing that late filing. But you still gotta ask for that late filing by April 15th. So be sure to do that, folks. And this podcast has been brought to you by the IRS. Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. Don't go to jail. Yeah, that's good. It's good. Good. Interesting case. Recent case. Paul Manafort. Oh, yeah. This is a Trump boy, right? This is a Trump boy. Um, so, still developing. He has been convicted on multiple fraud charges, and they think that he laundered over $30 million in Russian money for whatever reason, right? So, it could have had to do with uh, maybe some Trump campaign money going around or other p- bribes and payoffs. Huh. I don't know much about that, but I've definitely heard the name in the news. There's been some big cases of of big banks who uh, haven't um, or have been caught in helping different drug lords, drug cartels, uh, terrorists launder money, hmm. and like big banks who are still a big part of the world today. HSBC being one of them, um, where like. Mexican cartel drug money has, like, gone through their bank, hmm. and uh, most likely knowingly, and some of their executives have allowed that to happen. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. That is interesting. Um, here in Utah, recently, we've had a big case of money laundering, and the more I dig into this case, the crazier it gets. Tell me about this case. Okay. So this case, first off, to start off, if there are any uh, Armenian mobsters or Turkish mobsters or anyone involved with the people in this case, we're good guys. Please don't come after us. We're uh, just sharing what we've learned in the news. We're just giving you the news. (laughs) You heard it here first. Uh, I've also heard you guys look really cool in court with lots of bling and chains, so 
Oh, okay. Power to you for how you're living life. That's fair. <laughs> anyway, don't come after us. Anyway, so here is the deal with this case. There are these two guys here in Utah who are polygamists. Okay. And their polygamous group who own a company, a biodiesel company. A these are... Biofuel. Our, these guys are Armenian guys. No. These guys are just... White bread boys. White Mormon, bread. Utah. stock. You could say Mormon, but... Exiled from Mormon Exiled. because they're polygamous. Split from yeah. the healthy tree. They've got lots of wives, lots of family members, cousins marrying cousins, you know, that whole thing. Dynamic. Yeah. Uh, which we don't know anything about, really, but nope. they, they do their thing, we do our thing. Is that legal? Uh, it's not legal. It's not legal. Yeah. So, um, But people get away with it left and right. Sure. At least here in Utah. There's a lot of communities. Yeah, as long as they're not, like, marrying kids and stuff like that. Yeah. They usually can get away with it. Um, anyway, so these two guys, they own this biofuel company. And they get connected somehow with this Armenian mobster. Well, it's come out that he's a mobster. He's a Armenian-born California resident who owns, like, some fuel fuel stops for trucks also a trucking business he owns anyway they have been like selling stuff to him and also like selling stuff to other people throughout the world other companies biofuel and turns out that one of their shipments got turned around somehow and uh, so they told this guy this armenian guy that they could sell it to him instead they could turn around and he could buy the biofuel from him and he says okay but like what if we like get this government tax incentive um, for pretending to have produced it, right? And we get that tax incentive again by shipping it back to the guys here in Utah and then turning around right back to them and saying they produced another, you know, tankers full of biofuel. The U.S. government will pay $1 per gallon of biofuel that's created to the creator. It's like a tax incentive for, hmm. yeah. So it's it's like a stimulus thing for people who are producing biofuel, biofuel specifically. So biofuel comes from like corn stalks and cooking oil and like all these things that they put together, they mix together, add some chemical and it becomes a usable biofuel for trucks or for, you know, different uh, Hmm. operations. Anyway, so they end up starting to do this thing where they're actually not producing biofuel they'll ship biofuel down to panama truck it across panama so that there's paperwork showing that it was in panama and then turn it around bring it back to california saying that they produced this biofuel again and uh they get a dollar per gallon every time so they're just ping-ponging it back and forth getting paid off of it saying there's a new new shipment in new shipment look at this but really, it's like the same stuff, or it's not even biofuel at all. And there's no, there's nothing put in place to like make sure or authenticate that they've like actually sold this product, and it's not the same product as it was. So they were falsifying documents saying okay. that they had produced it and that gotcha. they sold it to. So X the documents person. are there to prove yeah. like this is this particular fuel. This has been sold to these people. And halfway through in Panama, they would relabel the shipping container or the tanker or whatever and say that it was raw material so it was cooking oil or it was oil from corn stalks or whatever so it was and, pee <laughs> and so they would relabel it bring it back reproduce it quote unquote and then say it was biofuel get the get the um tax incentive again and do it all over so they got a full-on racket going and they end They're up making tons of money i'm guessing they end up pocketing million from this scheme. Okay. Stolen from the U.S. government. So they buy some nice houses. They buy nice houses. Some cars, some bling. Yeah, so they, one of the... They live in large. One of the counts of money laundering, you can actually find a photo of this online, Um, and it's these, it's the Armenian mobster and this Utah polygamist guy sitting in front of a Bugatti and a Ferrari gold ferrari a gold ferrari the bugatti was 1.76 million dollars hmm. and the utah polygamist 
bought it for the Armenian guy. The Armenian guy bought the Ferrari for the polygamist. So they're just spending cash on these to kind of hide the money that uh, that they've been receiving. Hmm. It's a big case of money laundering, and it goes deep. It's like it pulls in the Turkish president. He's part of the scheme. It pulls in someone that they've been trying to interview for the Mueller investigation. Hmm. It pulls in a Belizean um, government official, like top of the government, like minister of energy or something. It pulls in an ICE agent who helped this uh, Armenian guy bring in an illegal Mexican. Who knows who that person was? It pulls in the sheriff of like Los Angeles County who helped... Corrupted? Yeah. Corrupted guy? So you start pulling in these American officials who are... So there's just so much money flying around that if somebody starts to sniff it out, they then have to question, do I turn these guys in or do I jump on board? And a few years ago, this company in Utah, the biofuel company, was being audited by the government. And the government found errors and fined them $100 million. Okay. The Armenian guy said, don't worry, I've got some people that help take care of it. Uh-huh. And the government... That comes... sounds very scary, first yeah. of all. Yeah. The government... I've got some guys that'll take care of it. Don't <laughs> the, worry. The government turns around and uh, the fine is only $5 million. Ooh. So his umbrella of protection yeah. came and helped out these uh, guys at the, in the Utah biofuel. First of all. We got to get some guys who can just take care of it. Yeah, we need I to be able to every, say, like... Everybody <laughs> needs some guys that can just take care of it. Who are our guys? We got to get some guys. We got to get some guys. I don't think I have any guys. I don't have any guys. Maybe that's a good thing, though. Maybe you don't actually want guys. But I could see how that could come in handy. So the these people are kind of, like, all connected almost by chance like the utah company and this armenian guy like it's kind of just by chance that they this wasn't an intentional scheme of theirs it just kind of like landed that's how they've portrayed it okay so the two brothers from utah these two polygamists have pled guilty to all charges it's like 40 charges or something but the armenian guy has pled not guilty and he has like the best lawyers in the history of the world's you know, supporting him. So who's he got? Bobby Cochran? Uh, I don't. What What's this guy's name? It It's a, a pretty Alan Dershowitz. I can't. He's I, got the Dream Team coming back together. <laughs> He's got Rudy Giuliani. Anyway, it's pretty wild case, um, and it's happening right now here in Salt Lake. That they're going over it. Sounds like a lot of these Armenian and Turkish guys show up for court in like all of their bling and their watches, like. And they're just sitting in the audience watching. Like mobsters just hanging out in the courtroom. It's Sound? a show of force. Yeah, it's kind absolutely. of an intimidation tactic. Anyway, pretty crazy. Uh, you think a Kardashian ever makes an appearance? Aren't they Armenian? All of a sudden, Kim's in the audience and it's like, oh shit. And we messed soon, with the wrong Armenians. And Kim's friends with Trump. Maybe Trump just says, hey guys, this is nothing. This is nothing. Nothing to see here. Move along. Maybe right before he no longer is president he what's it called when they uh let people off pardon they pardon president maybe the president will pardon these guys right at the end i i have more respect for the kardashians than to believe they'd be affiliated with this nonsense i may be one of the few (laughs) maybe yeah that's crazy dude Yeah, it's a pretty wild story that's going to dig into it just like just google it a little bit but, uh, it's weird that it's happening in Utah because I doubt this kind of stuff hits Utah as often as it would a big city. I don't know. I think Utah has some pretty big white-collar criminal cases. Okay, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. You know what? Utah, like, by comparison, there's, like, wealth here. Like, there may not be as big of money as there is in, like, New York City or L.A., but, like, there's a lot of people here that are doing well. I bet there's a lot of tax fraud yeah and maybe even insurance fraud Mm. i've heard of a couple cases of insurance fraud in like maybe my second uh realm of my second circle of friends you know outside stuff like a friend of a friend yeah it's hearsay or like a friend of a friend friend of a friend yeah the trickle down but like things you can google and like prove yeah like it happened okay i can see that though yeah i think all insurance is a fraud if i'm being completely honest with you 
Oh, should we get into this? <laughs> I have no evidence to back this up. I just think that uh, I don't trust him. Are you feeling the burn? Are you feeling the burn? It <laughs> <laughs> sounds awfully burny of me. I don't know. Insurance is such a crazy thing. There. Okay, let me say this. All insurance is not a fraud, but there is so much potential for fraud in the insurance industry. People pay you premiums ahead of terrible things happening to them, just hoping that you have their back when they do. What's to hold you accountable? Like, if you really want to write in a million loopholes of how you're going to screw them over when they really do need you, like, you can. And, like, what's also going to make you want to volunteer all this money to these people when the time comes that they need it? Like, it's just such a weird backwards crisscross. Like, if you were paying me $10 every single day, and you're like, but, you know, if something bad happens to me, I need you to pay me 100000 bucks. And I'm like, chances of that are very slim. Yeah, let's do it. It seems like a good deal in the short term because I'm just getting money from you every week, every day, whatever. And then all of a sudden that thing happens and like, I don't want to pay you. Yeah. I don't want to give you money for that. At that point, I'll try I'll try anything to get out of it. I have all this money. I don't want to give you that money. You know? So there's so much pushback from the insurance companies like in like validating a claim. So instead, the consumers, us, are turning around and like lying. That's true. Fraud and, goes both ways on that. Oh, I think fraud happens more in like the consumer side. You're probably right. And I've at least it gets people... caught more in the consumer side. Well, that, okay, because much easier to just pin it on some desperate person who has no power or leverage in the situation. And of course they're going to burn for it. But like when the insurance company is able to say, Oh, sorry, we don't cover that specific procedure because it falls outside our terms of service or whatever. Because it was on a Tuesday and you had Mexican the day before. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I'm just saying like, of course, if you give somebody all your money, hoping you never need it back when you do need it back they're not going to want to pay you yeah even if they do pay you because they're honest and that's what the whole scheme is like it makes sense that the concept of insurance came about it makes sense that somebody invented it because it's like gosh i need peace of mind i just need like safety security it's like hey i can come up with a, a plan that is there's incentives for me and you but it's just gotten so convoluted it's gotten so crazy dude i bet you there's just so many billions of dollars being made by insurance companies that all of a sudden it, it doesn't become about people. Well, and you can get insurance for anything. I know. Like, so, so athletes can insure. So like at the start of a contract extension or whatever, they sign a big deal, five-year deal. Not all the money's guaranteed. They got to like play so many games, whatever's written in the contract with the team they can like insure that contract to make sure that they get that money, but they have to pay somebody because the person who's providing the insurance is taking on that risk, knowing there's a chance that, you know, we lose money here, but hopefully this person just stays healthy, plays all their games, makes all their money, and they've just ended up paying us $10 million for the, the peace of mind or whatever. That's the hope by the insurance company, right? The hope of the insurance company is nothing ever goes wrong. Yeah, we just pocketed... A million dollars by, you know, insuring this athlete. Nothing happened, and we don't have to pay out. And nine. honestly, the hope of the athlete is nothing goes wrong. Right, too. right, for they, sure. They're willing to part ways with the money, knowing that at least if something tragic happens, I'll be okay. I wonder if there is insurance fraud in sports, whereas yeah. like an athlete's like, you know, I'm coming towards, I'm not feeling like playing anymore. I'm coming towards the end of my career or something, and they like willingly get hurt or they force themselves to get hurt so that I mean, they can the first thing that comes to mind is Kawhi leonard and not that i think he did this or anything but like his last year on the spurs he came out publicly and was like they missed I, like the coach was like he he's cleared to play i don't know why he's not playing and Kawhi just wouldn't play and his his camp was like you can't play and then he his camp finally came out i don't know if it was him or his uncle or somebody said they misdiagnosed, the Spurs misdiagnosed the injury, like, he's still injured, he should have never been cleared to play, like, it was a big controversy, he didn't play, like, he did not play, he just sat, and the coach was, like, constantly, Greg Popovich was kind of subtly nudging 
him the whole time or being like, I don't know why he's not playing, ask him. I'm sure it happens. I'm sure it has happened. Yeah. In the history of sports, it's happened. In the history of insurance, there's been fraud. Right. Morale of the story. Moral of the story, not morale. Moral of the story, uh, don't commit insurance fraud. Don't commit any kind of fraud. And uh, don't launder your money. You don't need a front or a shell company. Just uh, be a good person. Make money in a good way. Don't sell drugs. Don't kill people. Don't be a terrorist. And everything will be okay. But if you go to court, make sure your boys show up in ah. bling, baby. Make sure yeah. they got the bling. You got to have your boys there to support you. And you got to have a guy. You got to have those guys. You got to have... I know some guys. I know a guy. My guys will come help you out. Right. They'll take care of it. My guys, your guys, they get together. They know some guys. That's have real, some good real, guy like, time. Scarface. Scarface is a great example of money laundering that's the, the whole thing he's laundering money did you know the scarface is al capone yeah yeah i, did, yeah. I didn't know that till i just just clicked on this oh scarface is al capone so that movie's about al capone yeah is it directly like based on reality or is it like a loose know. adaptation i don't know oh, okay maybe we need to watch it because that's say hello to my Pequito amigo, see? Yeah, we don't want to say that because copyright issues. <laughs> right. Yeah, that could have been big trouble in yeah. little China. One for of our us. 33 listeners might have turned us in. That's true. By the way, to our 33 listeners, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. If you've made it this far, you're a real fan. Also, if you're listening right now, you can go to anchor.fm backslash the dash waterhole and you can uh, leave a message for us. And we can play it on this podcast and answer your questions or, uh, you know, we'll have mail time. Sure, mail time. So mail if you time. feel like it, you can go, again, anchor.fm backslash the dash waterhole. I got to do our uh, our sponsor read real quick. Oh, sponsor read. This week, we've been brought to you by one of the best drafts of ginger beer known to man. That's right, folks. Cock and bowl. You ever wanted to rip open a cock? Maybe get a peek under the bowl? Well, we got you covered with that refreshing ginger splash with a twist of lime. You can be sure that it's a good time for all people. Carter, I noticed you're drinking diet cock and bowl. Oh yeah, I'm drinking diet cock and bowl. How's that treating you? It's treating me good. I actually have gotten very used to diet sodas in the last month, and I've lost like seven pounds. Wow. Just cutting out sugary soda, because I... Don't you ever crave that sweet, sweet, oh, yeah. thick, syrupy oh, Coca-Cola you know, goodness? You know I do. <laughs> and actually, your wife was so kind as to buy me one just the other day. Yeah. And that was a treat. But I'm trying to do like once a week, because I realized I don't drink very much water, so that means when I was on like the high sugar soda diet, I was drinking over a thousand calories a day of just sugary soda drinks. That's about half as many calories as I should be consuming in a day. Yeah. So by cutting that out, I haven't like cut my caloric and taken half, but pretty close and doing nothing more than that. The weight has just been falling off of me. Literally falling. It's crazy. You're peeing out fat. Yeah, but what's also crazy is the fact that up until two years ago, I could drink those thousand calories a day, and I wouldn't put on anyway. But heck, I'm getting old. What can I say? Fatherhood has treat hasn't treated your body very well. It's and no, and it's definitely arrived. Have you started drinking more water? Uh, when we buy water bottles, I drink water, but I have trouble just drinking out the tap. Uh, but yeah, if we buy, if I buy like a big thing of water bottles, I'll drink them. We gotta get you a good water bottle that you can just reuse over and over and over. Yeah. Put some ice and water in there. Maybe a little, I don't know, Gatorade or something. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Something would probably work. So uh, Carter has some things he wants to talk about. Yeah, I guess to wrap up here, I just want to introduce a segment that I like to call Carter's Thoughts and Questions. And in this segment... I'll introduce a couple of thoughts that I've been having recently and then a couple of questions. And maybe you can you can kind of entertain me by answering the questions, even though this will all be very existential, theoretical, <laughs> philosophical <laughs> nonsense. If you've ever talked to me, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, 
I appreciate you indulging me ahead of time. So this week on Carter's Thoughts and Questions, what is the deal with everyone's obsession with the end of the world? And before you answer that, <laughs> let me give a bit of a preface. So Christians have taken heat over the years, a lot of heat, I might say, and probably not just Christians, although that's kind of the most common uh, religious form of what I'm about to describe in the United States, but all over the world, maybe other religions, religious people have taken heat for this, what's called apocalyptic anxiety, which is basically the fear and anxiousness that consumes people because of their belief in some sort of cataclysmic end of the world event that is inevitable, that it, it will happen, and we don't know when it happens Although some people at various times throughout history have put a date on it. Obviously, all those dates have come and went. But it's like, it's a strange idea to become fixated on. And I have a couple theories about why that might be. But most interestingly, in recent years, it's not, it's transcended the religious. There are secular forms of this exact same principle this obsession with the end of the world, like impending doom. And in the secular world, it takes the form of people's fear of artificial intelligence, becoming smarter than we are, starting to take control of the earth, you know, being more effective than us at operating within a universe that is like full of space and emptiness, you know, which we can't go out into space and breathe and live like we're biology it's very hard for us we're very fragile my boy elon's working on that by the exactly. way exactly exactly though elon once described humans as like the the bootstrapper for artificial intelligence like basically our our purpose in the progression of consciousness and and intellect, existence, yeah. existence is just to create the foundations to birth artificial intelligence of artificial intelligence yeah. and it will eventually carry the torch so so he he kind of may have a fresh take on that. Maybe he doesn't think that's necessarily. But a bad also, thing. he's trying to help us get to a place where we're maybe safer and safe from the end of the world, from yes. the apocalypse. He I wants to get think... us, get us to Mars for that day when you know Earth kind of excuse my French shits the bed. Well, and I think yeah, his take on it is is a little bit more refreshing than just saying like AI is going to take over and we're all going to be doomed. But how many science fiction books or novels or movies have been about that? Or robots or... And then the other one that's very interesting is global warming. It's the most interesting because it comes as like a complete antithesis to what has been the traditional stance of the evangelical political base in the United States. But both groups believe that like the end is near if we don't do something about it. Which brings me to the reason that I think this fixation is so alluring to people which is the fact that it's very hard to change human behavior but like i studied rhetoric in college it is almost the purpose of all communication and speech is to convince somebody of something it's not always like hey i think this you should think that too but it's like you're trying to influence the world around you and you're trying to persuade people and what better way to persuade people than instilling in them like this absolute urgency that if they do not do what you say, it's all over. In religious context, that's like, if you don't clean things up and get right with the Lord when you die or when the world ends, you're going to hell. With climate change, it's like, if we don't just figure this out, the world's done, it's over. And my question for you is, is this a useful obsession that people have? Are there negative consequences of kind of over-dramatizing some of these scenarios that I've described? I think, well, to start, I really like the way you worded the question to start because it sounded like a stand-up comedy bit. You said, what's the deal with all these people these days? <laughs> what's the deal? <laughs> Who are just, you know, what's the obsession? Anyway, I, th I thought that was funny. I'm watching uh, Lost Sign for <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I, I think that there absolutely are negative consequences to overreacting. We've, I don't want to say people are overreacting with coronavirus, 
because I think it is important to take precautions, but like funny things like toilet paper just flying off the shelves. I went to Costco today and couldn't find toilet paper. I think they <laughs> ran out. Kind of nuts. Um, and we've also seen how it has affected world economies, right? Right. So this one might be legitimate, right? Coronavirus is legitimate, but I think that there's potential for apocalyptic obsession, maybe having an unintended, undi- I can't talk, unintended consequence on world economies, on, uh, you know, groups that you affiliate with in day-to-day life, whether it could be a business you work for or a church organization or all these things have, um, will be affected by maybe obsessions with, um, end of the world apocalyptic events for sure so i guess also my question do you believe that the end of the world is coming that it is nigh i don't know i've thought about that actually a bit recently where i think that uh you know i've thought a lot more about like climate change and uh you know what is the world going to look like in a hundred years because it's changed so much in the last hundred years like i don't think we're going to run out of space anytime soon i don't i don't see foresee that happening because if you've ever been to nevada there's nothing out there right i drive through nevada quite frequently and i always have the same thought (laughs) i'm like there's plenty of space out here i kind of think that technology will move us faster and farther than these bad things will happen you know like our advances in technology will save us from the end of the world also could lead to the end of the world, you know, like it could. this coronavirus is maybe came from a lab, you know, like somebody might've created this and it accidentally got out. Right. Wouldn't that be crazy if it, that was an accident and then, you know, we end up losing even 2% of the world's population. Right. That would be crazy. Yeah. And that would be a huge tragedy. And there's no way to understate the fact that like, even though two, 2% sounds fairly insignificant when you apply it to a lot of other things, but like. That's like 300 million people or something. And it's more like on the personal level, every single one of those people had a story or meaning or something like that. But I I guess the human species just amazes me because, to my point earlier, we're so fragile, but we're so adaptable. Like, especially now. Yeah. We're adapting so fast and like progressing so maybe fast. too fast sometimes maybe. there's even unintended consequences of us progressing too quickly but even throughout history like the fact that we are so fragile and things could so easily end and haven't it's like a testament to our resilience like you would expect you know an immortal thing to to be immortal and to live forever like you wouldn't expect like this really fragile weak species to be able to propagate throughout so many thousand years and i guess it's all relative that seems like a long time for us maybe that's just a blip in humanity you know but like i just i think it's i think there's kind of a maybe a primal temptation to become very hyperbolic when it comes to the end of the world And without knowing it, I think people are maybe trying to just increase their own moral authority and increase the urgency around whatever cause that they're trying to promote. I'm not saying that that isn't necessary sometimes. That might be. Sometimes like just telling somebody the actual importance of a specific change they need to make isn't enough for them. You have to overstate it to get the pendulum swinging in the direction you need it to swing. Yeah. And then... Once it's in motion, you can kind of walk it back and be like, okay, well, it maybe wasn't as bad as I said, but you wouldn't have moved unless I made it seem that way. So now you've moved and like, we're all better off for it. That's like, American politics right now. That's a hundred percent American <laughs> politics. And like it, this, this pendulum swing of like, we got to go all in or right. like, there's no compromise. We have to get the pendulum starting to swing. Right. But, and it's also how you attack whatever your political, political opponent might be because you don't say like, hey, they're, they're, they might be kind of bad for us. You say they are absolutely and undeniably the worst person for the job that you could have plucked from any of the 400 million people in this country. And if they get elected, 
watch us, you know, completely lose our foothold in the world power structure. And like, you know, it has to be every single thing all at once to stress to people the importance. Like, like I said, this all goes back to rhetoric. Like, I just think it's a dangerous game to play because you can't really walk some of those assertions. Like I said, predicting the date that the world will end. That's a card you can only play once. And if you're wrong, you've lost all validity, you know? But going back to your point on, you know, doomsdayers and end of the world stuff, I think it's oftentimes a hobby to be a doomsdayer. Like these guys, these people, it's uh, a lot of them, I think, find that it's enjoyable to live that life and, you know, prep for the end of the world. This goes back to another thought I had, though. Yes, I think it is enjoyable because here's what I think it also does. This is a byproduct of thinking like uh, it's all coming to an end. Like these are the last days. Like it makes your life the most significant. Like your life is now placed in the most significant section of time that there ever has been. If you're like, I'm just in the middle of the course of human history. Like, that feels pretty insignificant. It's like, there's going to be thousands of years before, thousands of years after. Was this time important? Not really. But if you're like, no, this is the, this is like make or break. It all of a sudden makes all the actions and everything we do seem so important. Like, we're endowing ourselves with this, like, eternal significance. It's like, everything we do could not be could not be more important. You know, we have to get it right. Like, once again, it, like, increases the urgency and I definitely think it's enjoyable for some people. What a hobby. What a hobby. <laughs> like, for real, what a hobby. Oh, my gosh. But, dude, I got a lot of thoughts on this. I appreciate you indulging me. Oh, Maybe next fun. time we'll uh, we'll dig into uh, immortality because <laughs> uh, I think the concept of immortality, there's a lot to explore there. Like, we, we, we have trouble, like, grappling with our mortality, right? But... When you actually conceptualize what immortality would look like, uh, it may be even more difficult to grapple with. Like, talk about a lack of urgency or talk about feelings of insignificance. Like, you'd at at least it would, everything would be structured completely differently than they are now because we are a time oriented people and time matters. It is the scarcest resource that there is. And once it's out, it's out, which makes it extremely valuable. And if that was just no longer of value because infinite timelines, geez, Louise. Sounds like maybe we might need to uh, get some special drugs for, for this topic. <laughs> Turns out I've got a guy. Oh, you I have got a guy. A, ah, just kidding, guys. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. And we will be talking about some of these other fun topics like doomsday and sure. immortality sure. here in coming weeks. Can't wait to have you here with us again, and we'll see you next Friday here at the Waterhole. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Remember our phrase? Slurp it up. Slurp it up.